Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Hamilton wants the province to take over the operation and maintenance of the Link and Red Hill Valley Parkway. Also, the grocery code of conduct, lame excuses for speeding, a viral play-by-play announcer, digging out a huge tree stump, and training foster dogs. The JMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. If you've been following what's happening down the highway in Toronto, you will know that there is an agreement in place between Premier Doug Ford and the provincial government and Toronto's mayor, Olivia Chow, in terms of really erasing that city's budget deficit, which stands at $1.5 billion. Now, part of that is the province is getting the lands for Ontario Place for Doug Ford's swanky spa and parking garage. And also the gardener and the DVP. So Toronto will no longer be in charge of paying money to maintain, fix, and repair the Gardner and the Don Valley Parkway, which costs about $16 million each year. That's a lot of money. So Hamilton wants to do the same. They want to upload the ownership, operation, and maintenance of the Lincoln Alexander Parkway and the Red Hill Valley Parkway to the province. And we heard earlier this week in a motion presented by Councillor Maureen Wilson to say, hey, let's, let's get these talks going. The parkway uh, and the, the link, uh, link to provincial highways, um, and it is used by residents as it should be uh, across this province in their efforts to to move across this province. Joining us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is the motion presenter herself, Maureen Wilson, Councillor for Ward 1 here in Hamilton. Maureen, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. Anytime I, I get to hear uh, Getty Lee in the morning, it's a good morning. <laughs> Absolutely. So the thought behind this would obviously be we, we if approved, we would save a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Millions and millions and millions. Yep, it's, it would be significant and, uh, and, and taxpayers in Hamilton would, would notice it. If, just, if I could put it into some context, because there is a, a history here that's been accumulating for some time. Is that okay? Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, so if we go back to the last Conservative Premier in Ontario, back to 1996-1997, then Ontario Conservative Premier Mike Harris sat down with municipalities and said, uh, okay, how can we make this relationship work better financially and otherwise? But it, it, was, um, it did not work out well for Ontario municipalities, especially on older municipalities like Hamilton, in which the government ended up downloading so shifting onto local property taxpayers, the cost of what were once owned and operated provincial social housing, hundreds of kilometers of what were provincial roads, um, ambulance services, more health and social services. And Hamilton as an older municipality. Um, it was crippling for us. And it's, uh, it was a, a downloading shift that we have never been able to recover from. And then last year uh, with Premier Ford, um, he did more of the same and shifted costs related to private land development and affordable housing land development onto local taxpayers. And the impact of these things cumulatively has been so great that what, what's happening is municipalities like uh, Guelph, um, Mississauga and the like are actually starting to show ta- their local taxpayers when you get your bill, when you get your property tax bill, how much of the budget increase is a consequence of inflation and local choices and how much it is a consequence 
of uh, provincial policy actions. And the hit has been so significant um, that I, I think it's starting to make people, I hope, more aware of the, the consequences of this trickle-down approach to uh, solving provincial uh, budget woes, but doing it on the backs of local um, municipalities. So with m- the motion passed earlier this week at City Hall, what is the next step? Is it meeting with the provincial government? Is there a meeting that has to happen with the MTO? What happens next? So Mayor Horvath um, has been really exhaustive in her efforts, both with the federal government on primarily ho- matters of housing and immigration, and with the, the government of Ontario uh, primarily also on, on housing and land development. So this unanimously, council is saying, please bring this to the Ministry of Transportation, uh, the, the Premier, the Minister, and have this conversation. If the government is not going to um, sit down and have a formula uh, to deal with municipalities, uh, to fulfill what the Premier has been saying the last year to make uh, towns and cities whole, then let's just start ticking off uh, big-ticket items that are, are costly. And that's where I think uh, uh, Toronto Mayor uh, Chow went. Uh, the DVP and the Gardner Expressway, they, they are really commuter uh, highways where people coming and going across the GTA travel, but there be the cost of maintaining um, and operating those highways are on the backs of Toronto taxpayers. That's not fair. And there's really no consistency across the province. So some of your listeners, of course, will be very familiar with, say, Highway 406 down St. Catharines Welland area. It kind of cuts through those towns, but it is a provincially operated and maintained. The full life cycle costs of that highway are on the backs of the province. As, a, as opposed to, say, Niagara region. Um, and so uh, the Link and the Red Hill Parkway, they serve a lot of commercial truck traffic. They serve a lot of visitors. They uh, begin and end at provincial highways. So it's time for that real conversation. Last one for you. we got about a minute. In this Toronto deal, if you will, the Ontario government is getting Ontario Place... Mm-hmm. Do you expect the government to say, okay, we'll, we'll take over the link in the Red Hill, but we need something in return? Yeah, so that's, um, it's an interesting question. And I, it's, uh, it kind of negates that entire history, respectfully, that I said that I, I tried to recall since 1996. Mm-hmm. We actually, they've never uploaded anything. They've downloaded lots of stuff. Uh, but they've never actually taken back anything of significance in return. So now is not the time to start that because the game has been uneven. And we could have a a good discussion about Ontario Place and uh, how that was a brilliant move on the part of uh, Mayor uh, Olivia Chow because at the end of the day, this government uh, controls land use planning. It always has, it always will. So it was a brilliant move on her part um, and a financially sound move. Maureen, we'll have to leave it there. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much. Maureen Wilson is the counselor for Ward 1 with the City of Hamilton. The uh, We had a statement from the MTO delivered to us. And uh, long story short, we will continue to work with our municipal partners to help ensure the sustainability of municipal infrastructure across Ontario. Doesn't sound like the province is too interested in taking the link and the Red Hill off our hands. 
You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. In the face of rising food prices, the launch of, you've probably heard about this, the Grocery Code of Conduct. Well, this thing has been paused well, because of pushback from two of the major players, Walmart and Loblaws. Loblaw chairman Galen Weston recently outlined his concerns about this code. We absolutely will sign the code. We've always said that we would sign the code. Um, we just need to sign a code that doesn't increase uh, the risk of higher food prices to Canadians. And as the code is currently drafted, um, you know, our strong conviction is that it will do so. Walmart Canada says it has participated in the development of this code, but it is also not in a position at this time to commit to it. We've also heard from Federal Agriculture Minister Lawrence McCauley. This is the code is intended to be industry led, but the industry has, quote, failed to meet the moment, and he's saying that the government is going to examine all available federal options, which could include legislation. Very interesting. Marvin Ryder is a professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Good morning, Marvin. Good morning, Rick. If implemented, and I guess this at this point is a big if, how would this code work? Well, if you don't mind, can I just give people a little context and then I'll get to your question. Uh, This code of conduct was first proposed in early 2020. So we're talking now almost four years ago. Uh, And then it ground to a halt the minute the COVID hit. So all the progress that was being done. Now, this is important because the code of conduct was born not because of higher food prices, not because of food inflation, but simply because of uh, a lack of competition. Even in early 2020, we only had five major grocery outlets available to consumers. And so the idea was, let's let's come up with a code that will police ourselves. Took forever to arrive, and then it arrived in May of this year. Now, I realize this is December, so you're saying, well, wait a minute, what's happened? So a draft, a first draft of the Code of Conduct is available. You can look at it. Anyone can look at it. You can go to a website, canadacode.org, canadacode.org, and you can actually find a draft code of conduct. Now, uh, the hope was then that it would come out for discussion. So we're into the discussion phase now, gather some more information on it, and then have the industry approve it uh, rather than having the federal government get involved. So this was them attempting to self-regulate themselves. Anyway, it debuted, and here we have a, a split decision, meaning that the nice people at Empire, that Sobeys and Safeway, they like the code. The nice people at Metro, they like the code. Costco has been quiet about this, but Walmart and Loblaws say they don't like the code. And so this is why there's going to be apparently a revision of the code in early 2024. The hope was to have this all in place by February. Now, none of this was supposedly all about uh, lower food prices. So no one should get their hope up that they'll approve this and suddenly food prices will shrink by 2% or 5% or whatever it happens to be. But it was about fairness in the workplace, fairness in the marketplace. Uh, Some of the smaller grocers, not maybe chains, but more independents, were very concerned about the power wielded by these big five. And so this is to even the playing field. Um, What now has come out is that the government, the federal government, has said that both through the agriculture minister and the industry minister that if the industry cannot agree to this code of conduct, then they may pass something and impose it on them. Galen Weston, I think, gave a great um, 
what word am I looking for here? Kurt gave a great middle of the road speech on this saying, well, of course we'll sign on to any code of conduct. We just want a good code of conduct. And maybe one last thing, and then I'll give this back to you. I've read it through. I've read through this code of conduct. It's not a long read. Uh, the, the whole document is 10 pages, but the actual code is about five of those pages. The rest of it is more about uh, operational issues. I actually don't see anything in there that looks terribly controversial. Uh, most of the things I see make sense. Now, Galen has said that if this code is implemented, they may see higher food prices. We may see more food inflation. I can't actually point to anything that would say that to me. So I'd love to hear his rationale. Other companies, of course, have looked at this and said it could lead to lower food prices, mostly because uh, suppliers, anyone who wants to supply these big grocery chains, get charged fees to have their products listed, whether it's at a Walmart or at a Loblaws, what have you. And uh, smaller grocers then wind up subsidizing those fees because those costs get passed on to them. This is in part trying to sort out some of those fees and make it fairer in the supply chain. So I'm not sure it leads to higher food prices, but either way, we're not going to see any of this in early 2024. Yeah, Galen Weston said that this this code could, as it stands right now, could raise costs by more than a billion dollars for Canadian consumers. And I know you've already answered that question, but when it comes to legislation, I mean, what, what can the government do to legislate a code? Well, uh, remember again that this is is kind of what we call it an oligopoly in, in my world. It's not a monopoly. It's not all held by one company, but it's held by five companies. So there's there's a restriction on competition with that small number of companies. In that sense, the government could respond by saying, well, because there's so little competition, we're going to impose something on you. Uh, they would rather it be self-regulated. I know that for a fact. But if the, if the government, again, needs to demonstrate that it's hearing Canadians, hearing their concerns about higher food prices, and of course, we're all blaming the grocery stores, even though I think some of the blame goes to the suppliers to the grocery stores. Um, nonetheless, I think the government could approve some legislation that puts some of these things into law. Who knows? It's a bit of a, uh, if you call it a standoff at the OK Corral at this point. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, Metro and Empire are willing to sign the code, but only if the other two as well, or I guess the other three do as well. Right. Uh, and as they say, Costco has been quiet on this. My feeling is Costco would sign. Uh, I don't think most of the provisions really affect Costco. And actually, I don't really understand why Walmart is that concerned, other than one of the keys to Walmart's success has been, we call it channel dominance. By being this large retailer that everybody wants to have their products listed, they wield a lot of power over suppliers. And as you know, one of the Walmart sayings is that prices are always falling. That's because they often push suppliers to cut prices to give consumers a better deal. Uh, they're worried about losing some of that power and all this. I think the biggest surprise is Loblaws. I don't know why Loblaws specifically is so upset about this. Well, it's going to be interesting to follow it uh, from here on in. Marvin, always appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, your time and enjoy the weekend. Will do. Thank you. That's Marvin Ryder, professor of the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University, chiming in on this grocery code of conduct. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Early yesterday morning on the 401 in Milton, this is 2.15 in the morning, Police pull over a 20-year-old driver in a Mercedes. And this driver, who's from Brampton, was going fast. 
How fast was he going? Well, as you know, the speed limit on the 401 in that area is 100 kilometers per hour. This guy was going more than double the speed limit, 211 kilometers per hour. Can you imagine that? And when the officer stopped this driver, he said he was late for work. <laughs> it's 2.15 in the morning and you're going 2.11 because you're late for work? Wow. So he's been charged with stunt driving, had his license suspended for 30 days, vehicle impounded for a couple of weeks, and he'll see his auto insurance skyrocket to another stratosphere. Sergeant Kerry Schmidt is with the Highway Safety Division with the Ontario Provincial Police and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Sergeant Schmidt, good morning. How are you? Uh, awesome. Thanks for having me on this morning. 2.11 is nuts. Well, do you know what? I'll tell you what, because uh, just yesterday, another driver stopped for 2.16 in a 90. Um, uh, in this situation, no excuse was given. I, I think he probably realized that any excuse was not going to uh, wash with, with any officer. And, uh, yeah, he was done with the same thing. Stunt driving, license suspension, vehicle impound, you know, a day in court. And he's got to somehow try to explain. Or maybe he's just going to fall on a sword and, and plead guilty. But, uh, you know, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, people are looking for a, a way to squeeze out of these things as well. Yeah, one of the most common excuses that people give to police, and you've probably heard this a million times, is they didn't realize they were speeding. But going 216 in a 90 or 211 on the 401, you know you are just blistering down the road. Oh, 100%. And, uh, yeah, like I've heard all the excuses, and if there's officers listening, I'm sure they've got a whole list of their excuses as well that they've heard <laughs> from people that are trying to get out. And, you know, the, the nice little smile, like, oh, I'm sorry, officer. Yeah, you're right. I had no idea. I was just going with the flow of traffic. And, like, uh, people don't realize you know, the flow of traffic isn't the car that's weaving through traffic, passing everybody. Uh, the flow of traffic is, is much different, and I challenge anyone who thinks the flow of traffic is actually 140, 150, because it's not. The only two excuses I would imagine that would fly would be, number one, there's some kind of medical emergency, which we know happens, and number two, if, if a woman is in labor. I mean, those are probably the only two, right? Well, do you know what? It's funny, and I've had both of those. I've had, I'm, I'm pregnant, I'm expecting, I'm in labor, uh, and I'm, I'm going to the hospital. Of course, I had one person who was going to the hospital just uh, two weeks ago, and they were, they were doing maybe 170, 180, and they said, well, they're going to visit their, their, their grandpa was sick. It was, uh, they keep, they're trying to come up with an excuse, and so they're going to the hospital, and then they named the hospital, which was on the other side of the city, and they were going in the opposite direction. And again, you as a parent or as uh, someone who's talked to people and interviewed people, you kind of figure out when people are being a little deceptive and evasive. And uh, this person was full of lies, <laughs> and uh, it didn't work out for them. Uh, but, yeah, the, the typical excuses, I, I had to pee, uh, you know, I'm just uh, not feeling well, uh, I feel sick. One, one thing I, I always get a laugh out of is I'm, I'm running out of gas. And, like, well, if you're running out of gas, going that kind of speed is not going to help you. Uh, you know, one person was having a... I was just having a bad day. Well, yeah, you're having a really bad day, and your your day's going from bad to worse. Uh, you know, people coming out of the car wash. I just want to I want to dry my car off. <laughs> I, 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 look, yeah, yeah, that, okay, that'll work. Maybe use a, use a chamois, and and you can you can dry that off. Uh, you know, you're lost, and uh, this person uh, you know had no idea where they're going, so they're going to double time it and uh, try to figure out where they're going. 
And uh, yeah, it's just like, it's unbelievable. You know, I get a laugh out of the ones where people say, well, I had to pee or I got to use the washroom or, uh, you know, I, it's that, that time of uh, time of month. I just, I need to find a restroom. Like, right. well, you, you just passed like 11 exits, you know, going through. <laughs> There's a gas station at every one of them. But yet, no, 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 I can only, I can only pee at home. And, uh, and that, for that reason, I got to get out. I, I'm, if you're listening right now, you know, these are probably excuses that aren't going to work, so don't be writing these down and trying these at your next traffic stop because likely uh, you're still going to end up with some paper in your, uh, in your lap uh, as you're uh, <laughs> leaving that situation. Yeah, Sergeant Schmidt and others uh, that wear the uniform have heard them all, that is for sure, and I'm sure you've heard this one too. I'm bringing home some hot food and I didn't want it to get cold. You know, I don't know if I've heard that one myself personally, but yeah, I, I, I can totally expect that that would be one that, yeah, yeah, I just, I don't want to, <laughs> I, I want the food to be fresh. Well, whatever, it's it's takeout, so just, uh, it'll, it'll stay warm. You'll get there, pull over and eat it. It's got to be piping hot. That's hilarious. <laughs> Sergeant Schmidt, appreciate the time. Stay safe on the roads, and thanks for keeping us safe as well. Uh, right on. Slow down, everyone. Drive safe. Obey the speed limits and have a, have a great, happy, merry Christmas. Same to you. Sergeant Kerry Schmitz is with the Highway Safety Division of the OPP. He's heard them all. Recent survey shows that 32% of drivers claim that they didn't realize they were speeding after being pulled over. 20% say they're late for work. Another 20% say they there was a medical emergency. And 17% say they had to use the bathroom or didn't see the speed limit sign. And yeah, bringing home hot food. They didn't want to get the food to get cold. Not an excuse, especially if you're going 216 in a 90 or 211 on the 401. That is bonkers. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Many of you know I'm a huge sports fan, a long-suffering, diehard Maple Leafs fan, and I love play-by-play announcing. As you know, I did it with the Tiger Cats for several seasons years ago, and when it comes to play-by-play announcing in this hockey-mad country, there is certainly a Mount Rushmore. Turn YA has it on that wing. Here's a shot! Henderson made a wild stab for fell. Here's another shot! Right by the score! Henderson has scored to Canada! Our jump wins it in. Here's Lemieux poking at the center. Lemieux ahead to Gretzky. Has Murphy with him on a two-on-one to Lemieux. And on goal, he shoots, he scores! Mario Lemieux with 126 remaining. Up with it again. He's on the ice with a Ginlop. A Ginlop scoring! Sidney Crosby, the golden goal! And Canada has once in a lifetime Olympic gold. Foster Hewitt, Dan Kelly, Chris Cuthbert, three of the most iconic calls in Canadian hockey history. And that brings us to this beauty of a call from the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. Joey Bielikasidi turns back. Looks like they're doing a little reverse. Here. You might see in football. And here comes Basin. He's got some speed. He's with the D. Oh, oh, what's he going to do? He's shooting the room, Daddy. Oh, look at that. Look at this. Look at that. The call has gone viral, and the announcer has earned instant celebrity status, and we've tracked him down. Good morning, Hamilton. Welcomes Doug Roach, the play-by-play announcer of the Verdon Oil Capitals of the MJHL. Doug, good morning. How are you? Uh, good morning to you. I'm, I'm well and uh, still a little overwhelmed by things. Yeah, what is your reaction to the reaction from your goal call? I totally find it hilarious um it it just keeps going and going and things i see on the social media with 
how it's voiced over other goals that fits really nice. <laughs> um, but it's just, it, I have to laugh. It's, I, I'm a school teacher, and uh, I even know yesterday I was had a test going on, and I just started laughing at my desk. And uh, it's it's crazy. What kind of attention have you received, apart from social media? I mean, have you been doing other radio interviews, TV interviews? Uh, yeah, I've uh, a local paper interviewed me, which I kind of figured they would. I've interviewed with them for the sports I do. But uh, the Green Zone from Regina uh, had me on uh, just a, a local radio station down that does uh, senior hockey mm. play-by-play uh, interviewed me. Uh, and then this, this morning, so... Uh, it's been uh, more than I thought would happen. You mentioned you're a teacher. What do you teach? Uh, I'm a high school teacher. I teach uh, woodworking and uh, math. How did you get into play-by-play? Um, well, I played lots of sports. I played lots of hockey. I played junior hockey in Estevan. I played university hockey with Brandon University when they had a team and senior hockey. Um, I used to do it as myself as a goalie in Estevan to keep myself in the game to not let my mind wander around. And uh, with the team coming here, I wasn't sure if they had anyone. So I, I saw the coach on the ball diamond the one day a few years back said, hey, if you need anyone, I'm interested. Uh, they had someone at the time. Uh, circumstances came around that, uh, hey, we're, you know, you want to still do that. So I, I jumped at it and uh, I guess I've done okay. <laughs> uh, I, I'd say so. I had to chuckle when you said you were a goalie and you would do play-by-play in your mind to keep you focused. I used to do the same thing. So, Doug, we have something in common. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> there you go. And uh, like I said, I still remember the names and numbers of uh, the players. Even though it was been about 40 years ago, I still remember... Uh, Who's doing what up in front of me? That is awesome. Doug Roach is a play-by-play announcer with the Verdon Oil Capitals of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League, the author of this. Look at this, look at that! That, I understand, is going on some t-shirts as well. Like, this is crazy. Yeah, uh, Coach Ramsey from the from the Oil Caps contacted me and, and asked me if it was all right if uh, they did this. And I said, you know what, um, this would not have happened if it wasn't for the way you guys are playing hockey. Uh, you're playing exciting right now, so it kind of gets me excited up in the broadcast booth. So I said, you know what, if it's uh, you know, you know, bring more attention positively to your team, uh, go have fun with it as well. And, and I agree. And if anything, you know, Doug, you've put a smile on the faces of countless hockey fans and non-hockey fans, and you've got us talking about the game even at the junior level, and it's, it's, it's just a whole lot of fun. Yeah, it is. Um, the funny thing is, I even saw a person at the store yesterday who takes billets, and uh, I know her because I helped coach her kid way back in minor hockey. She says, yeah, it's funny. She says, but that wasn't even really one of your best calls. And I kind of went, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, you gave us a great call. I appreciate your time, and good luck the rest of the season with the oil caps. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for calling, and uh, you have a good day. You too. Doug Roach, play-by-play announcer with the Verdon Oil Capitals of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. Look at this, look at that! Oh, it is iconic. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. So I got an email the other day from Kelly, who works at the front desk here at the radio station, does an awesome job coordinating well, a bunch of business-related stuff. And so she sent me an email says, you got to check this thing out. So I look into the email, and I see these photos 
And what the photos are, are of a, a neighborhood in Hamilton's North End. And in particular, a tree stump. And this is no ordinary tree stump. This is the stump of a 100-year-old tree that basically encapsulates pretty much the entire front yard of this home near Dundurn Castle. And what's happening with this tree stump is, well, it's being pulled out. Yeah, a guy is removing this 100-year-old tree stump from his neighbor's yard using only an axe and a shovel and like a shop vac. And what he plans to do with this tree stump is rather unique as well. Well, let's bring in this interesting character. Danny Salmon is his name. He's a local guy who's digging out this tree stump from his neighbor's yard. Danny, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. So did I paint that picture accurately? Oh, you did. You did. You left out the uh, a little crazy, but yeah, that's, uh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, so let's get into... Well, first off, let's get into the work involved, because you're only using an axe and a shovel, and this is, you know, being a tree stump that's 100 years old, this thing's rather large. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, and I'm actually using a power wash as well to power wash the dirt and then shop back it up and then dump it out and then shovel the rest. Okay, so the question is, why are you doing this? Uh, there's a few reasons why. The main reason why is, like, I see the potential in this stump as a beautiful table. Uh, if you flip it upside down, uh, the base of it is the base, and then, yeah, it's just a beautiful table. Uh, I have the time. The weather is just beautiful right now. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much the, the <laughs> gist of it. I'm also There's also a reason that... Uh, I am going through a uh, an illegal eviction, so it kind of keeps me uh, not wanting to be at my place. So after work, I tend to just work on this stump. That's kind of uh, came up to me. When did you get this idea? So last week, uh, I'm actually working across the street uh, uh, doing siding, and I see this gentleman named Tim uh, who's just working on a stump, and I'm like, hey there, mister, do uh, you need help with that stump? And he's just like you know what, sure, I was going to grind it, but if you want to get it out, it's yours. And that started me on my journey uh, every day after work at 4 p.m. I chip away at it till about 8 or 9 p.m. And uh, yeah, I'm almost there. <laughs> Looking at the pictures, I mean, it it's massive. The roots are, you know, a few feet from the stump. I mean, this is a big project. So how far along are you and when do you expect to actually take this out of the ground? So I got a good perimeter around the whole thing. I'm, I'm pretty deep into it as well. I can see all the main roots. My goal was to like kind of yank it out uh, instead of uh, slicing it. I'm just going to find all the roots and then pull it out, just kind of lift it up a little bit and then just shift it onto a truck bed or a flatbed. And, uh, but logistically I'm still working on it. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not quite there yet. I'm hoping that somebody maybe is going to, maybe help me out with it or would want it uh, prematurely and uh, wants to commission it. But yeah, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it quite quite yet. Danny Salmon is his name. He is a local man who's digging out his, uh, well, a neighbor's 100-year-old tree stump, and he's almost there. He's got an axe, he's got a shovel, he's got a power washer, he's got a shop vac, and well, he's got a couple of hands doing the job in this neighborhood on Dundurn Castle. What kind of reaction are you getting from neighborhood, neighbors who are watching you do this? That's the funny thing. Some people are like, you're going to collapse the street by pulling that out. Or I'm like, I hope the foundation of the street is not reliant on this tree. But uh, 
this, most of them have been very kind. I'm, they've been giving me pasta at night or some chili to keep me, uh, wow. to see me working all day during the day and then chipping away at the stump at night. So the neighborhood has just been phenomenal, actually. They've been really kind. It's going to be sunny and nine degrees today, so I'm sure you're going to get a lot of work done today. When do you hope to actually take this thing out? What's what's the drop dead date for you? So I'm trying. My my first attempt is going to be tomorrow. I'm going to go there. There's a nice guy named Tori who said he has a flatbed and a 1,500 pound winch because the thing is probably going to weigh about a thousand pounds to 1,500 pounds because it's just a solid mass of silver maple uh, wood. Um, so the thing is still like it's a ton. But I, when I jump on the thing at the top, I feel it wiggling. I've got it loose from the strand, so it, it's coming out. And if I don't get it this Saturday, my goal is the next Saturday, wow. uh, so, if the homeowner is willing to let me do that. <laughs> it's almost like pulling a tooth. It, it is, yeah. <laughs> pulling a tooth uh, for myself and this tree. It's just, uh, yeah, I'm feeling like my whole my life is kind of getting a little bit uprooted with uh, this, uh, the, the home issue. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm uprooting this stump as kind of a nice thing to kind of keep me sane, I think. When you initially approached the homeowner, did they think <laughs> like, no, I mean, you're going to kill yourself here. Uh, I've, that's the beauty of Tim, I believe. He just kind of like saw me and he's like, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you do it. I mean, he's, he's going to get something in a sense for free by letting me do it instead of grinding it. But yeah. for me, it's like, uh, yeah, I just saw it. It's my uh, holy grail stump. Uh, and so I seen someone that's going to let me do it. The weather's allowing me to do it. I have the time to do it. It all just seems like a perfect storm to, to get it out. <laughs> and so you plan to turn this into a table, like a coffee table? No, it's huge. So it's about eight feet wide at the base and then maybe four and a half feet tall if wow. when it's flipped. So this thing is probably going to be some, it's a beast of a table. I could see it being in like a conference room or some kind of like a someone's house or cottage or something. Uh, it's going to take me probably a year or two to actually sand it and sculpt it. Uh, it's got to dry, but yeah, it's going to be a beautiful piece of work, I believe, wow. if uh, if I can get it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got some time on your hands. The weather over the next week is su- supposed to be really good, even this weekend as well. So we're all, yes. you know, pardon the pun, rooting for you, but I'd, lo- <laughs> I'd love to follow up whenever you get this table situated oh, yes. and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll make sure it goes to a great home. That's for sure. Sure. I sure hope so. I'm just started. I have a stump man, Dan on Instagram. That's where I'm going to post some pictures and videos on the uh, the thing, but nice. I will definitely keep you posted, Rick. Awesome. Danny, appreciate it. Good luck with this. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Have a good one, Danny Salmon. This guy who's just, he saw the stump. He's like, I need to have this. I need to make this into a table. Uh, go Danny, go. That is, that is awesome. I'm sure Tim, the homeowner is like, yeah, this is amazing. Danny doing his thing. I'm going to Get this stump out of here, put a nice fresh sod of grass, and away we go. Good stuff. We'll follow up with Danny once he gets that thing out of there. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Some people will be giving or receiving a pet for Christmas. Happens every year. Probably not a hippo, though. But 10 days from now, dogs and cats are going to be given as pets on Christmas morning. And sometimes it works out, and, well, sometimes It doesn't, and that makes our next topic uh, pretty important. The Hamilton Burlington SPCA is one of only 10 Pedigree Foundation grant recipients here in Canada, which means it's going to help provide obedience training for foster dogs. Michelle McNabb is the Director of Community Outreach and Animal Programs at the Hamilton Burlington SPCA and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Michelle, good morning. How are you? 
Good morning. I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for joining us today. Congratulations on this $10,000 grant. So very exciting. We're absolutely thrilled to be able to provide this program to our dogs. It's going to be very, very, very helpful for them. So what are the dogs going to learn? How does this training work? Absolutely. So the goal of this program, we're going to provide it to dogs that are not only living in our shelter, but are in our foster care program. And they're going to get some basic obedience. We're working with some fantastic community partners, canine principals. They provide classes for us on a regular basis. But this is the first time that we're going to be able to put dogs that are in our shelter through this program. They're going to get to learn all the good stuff, the sits, the stays, the coming when called, walking nicely on a leash, basically becoming the best canine citizens that we can make them. And then that means, you know, once they get into their new forever homes, they've already got those skills behind them. So very, very exciting. So those skills are transferable. It's not just, you know, the dog responding to, let's say, you're the trainer, just responding to you. If they are adopted, the new owner, when they say sit or or roll over or whatever the case is, um, they'll, the dog will respond? Absolutely, yes. And this program is also exciting. So if the dog gets adopted before the course is over, we're going to offer the remainder of the course to the adopted family. Hmm. So they can continue on with these classes, get those skills. They also provide um, videos from every single week of the session. So those videos can be shared with the new adoptive family as well. So they'll have some some backup once they get home and some things to go back and look at and rely on. No two dogs is alike. How challenging are some of the dogs when it comes to training? Oh, absolutely. It's like everybody, right? Everything takes a little bit of work sometimes and sometimes more than others. But our foster families who are currently bringing in a dog for our program are so committed and so dedicated and they're absolutely doing a wonderful job. And then we have a new dog who just started our sessions last night with one of our fantastic dog walking volunteers. And they are uh, off to a great start. So everybody's very committed. Lots of rewards for the dogs, lots of positive reinforcement, and everybody loves a good snack. So that's how we reward them. And it's and tis the season for snacks too. So it works hand in hand. Michelle McNabb Absolutely. is <laughs> Michelle McNabb is the director of community outreach and animal programs at the Hamilton Burlington SPCA, one of only ten Pedigree Foundation grant recipients in this country. They're going to use this ten thousand dollar grant to train foster dogs with the goal of enhancing their adoptability, not only during the Christmas season but uh, you know throughout the year. Is there a specific breed that picks up this training easier or better than others? You know what? Not really. Everybody, I think most of the dogs, they want to learn. They really want to please the person that they're working with. Um, And like I said, those good snacks are always great, right? I'll do just about anything for a really good cookie. So you never know what's going to happen. Is a lot of this from the dog's perspective, uh, gaining or regaining confidence or just building that trust with whoever is the trainer? A little bit of both, absolutely. So the dog that we just started in the program last night, she's lovely. She's got so much potential, but she's a little bit shy right now. She's a little bit worried. The shelter system can be very stressful for these dogs. So this is a great way to bring them out, let their confidence shine, and give them the skills that we know are sort of already in there. We just need to pull them out a little bit. How long does the training go for? Each session is seven weeks long, and they come for an hour each week that they're there. And it is, like I said, a very positive-based session. So while they're working hard and learning these new skills, there's also lots of free time, there's lots of play time, and there's lots of really, really positive reinforcement so the dogs know that they're doing what we're asking of them in the best way possible. I'm sure the owner of the dogs are also learning a lot, too. 
100%. We always say it's almost more for the person than it is for the dog. <laughs> yeah, training the person is much more difficult. That's it. <laughs> when it comes to giving or receiving a pet during the Christmas season, I'm not sure what the SPCA stance is because I know you get a lot of pets that are intended for, you know, the, the intention is there, um, but it sometimes it doesn't work out. When it comes to giving a pet for Christmas, when you're the giver, what kind of sign should you be looking for to, you know, determine whether or not it's going to be a good match? The reality is it should never be a surprise is sort of our, um, our thought process. It's fine to give a gift of a pet 100%, but you want to have that conversation beforehand. It's a very big commitment, and we want to ensure that this is going to be a permanent fit for the dogs, if at all possible. We understand that circumstances certainly arise where it doesn't work out, but we want to have those conversations well in advance, make sure everybody's prepared, you know, you need supplies. You need to be making sure your schedule is going to align with bringing home a new pet. So lots of things need to sort of come into play before this pet arrives in your home. So definitely talking it through, making sure everybody in the home is on board. And then, you know, it can be a fantastic gift, 100%. I'm sure it also means, and sadly, come January, you're probably receiving calls or knocks on the door to say, hey, I no longer want this pet. But you know what? Not as much as people think. Hmm. We're really, really good about having these conversations and making sure that people understand that it is a commitment and that you want to make sure everybody in the family is ready for this. They're understanding, you know, all of the challenges and responsibilities that come with bringing a new pet into the home. And for us, we have a fairly good success rate. So we're going to hope for the best and keep that going. So I have a dog and three cats at home. Do you have any cat training programs? Because they need some lessons, let me tell you. Oh, goodness. Yeah, cats are a whole different breed, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But you know what? You'd be surprised. Same thing. Lots of positive reinforcement. Most cats love treats just as much as dogs do. So I think we don't give them quite enough credit, but they can learn some new things. Good to hear. Michelle, thank you for your time uh, today, and good luck with this training. Amazing. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too. Michelle McNabb is the Director of Community Outreach and Animal Programs at the Hamilton Burlington SPCA. And as you heard, if you're thinking of getting a pet for someone on Christmas, make sure you have the conversation that is vitally important to make sure that they're okay with it and they have the time, they can commit that time, and they have the resources or the space to do so and do so effectively. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.